0: Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Father God, we just thank you for the chance to hear your word. And I just pray you'd speak just really clear to us. And as we prayed earlier, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I know that there's a plan that you have today. God, I know there's a desire that you have for your people, for each individual, for us as a church, and for our community. And I just pray today that your Plan for today would be fulfilled. I don't pray for anything else but what you want for today. For each person, for us as a congregation, and for our community, I pray that your word and that your purposes will be fulfilled, your desires fulfilled within us. And I ask this in Jesus' name because God, we know those are good desires. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Now, if you would take the time to read earlier in the book of Matthew chapter 18, you would see that the disciples are coming to Jesus and they begin to argue a little bit about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And these guys are kind of jockeying for position because I want to be recognized. I want to be important. No, I want to be more important, okay? And Jesus addresses them and in essence, he tells them that his kingdom is different than any other kingdom in this world. He tells them that unless they change, if unless they change and become like ch- little children with an attitude of humility and dependence upon God, they will never even enter into his kingdom. So they don't have to worry about being first, and they don't have to worry about being recognized He says, unless you guys change and come with this same humility, you won't even enter into the kingdom, okay? Then he goes on and he addresses another important issue, and it's an eternal issue. In verse 6, he says this, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa! to the world, because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, I felt impressed to speak to you this week about the judgment, and I want you to hear this, the judgment that will come upon those who cause others to stumble. Unless that person repents. There is a dark place in hell for those who destroy the faith of others. Let me say that again. For the person who causes others' faith to be destroyed, I believe that there is a dark place in hell for them unless they repent. Jesus takes very seriously those who mess up those who are weak in the faith. He takes very seriously those who interfere with other people's spiritual growth and development. In fact, Jesus says this. He said it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. What is the hope for the person who has a millstone tied around their neck and is thrown into the depths of the sea, not at the shore, unto the depths of the sea? What awaits them? death. What awaits them is a watery grave. I don't care how hard you swim. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how long you can hold your breath. It doesn't matter. You can be a Red Cross certified lifeguard. You can be a Coast Guard swimmer, rescue swimmer. And if you tie a millstone around their neck, there is absolutely no possible way that they can survive. What awaits them is a watery grave. And you know, I was thinking about one of the things, you ever watch on TV some of these shows that they have? And like they'll show people who they've had an accident and their car goes off a bridge or it goes into water and they tell you what to do. They'll tell you how to survive if your car goes into water. Like I don't usually get afraid. of I'm not afraid of too many things. Not that I'm some hero or anything. I'm just, I just don't worry about those things. But the thought of, like, being stuck underwater, that's a creepy feeling. Have you ever, maybe when you were a kid and you were playing and someone held you down underwater for a little bit, that's scary. If you drowned, you'd be completely conscious at the beginning. Your lungs would begin to feel like they're going to burst because you need a breath of air. You're starving for oxygen, and your body would really be being poisoned by carbon dioxide. You would hold your breath as long as you can. But at a certain point, you have to. It's a reaction. You start to gasp. And if you're underwater, when you start to gasp, what do you do? You fill your lungs and your mouth with water. And you start choking. And eventually you would, you know, for a while you would do that until you pass out. And eventually you would die. That's, that gives me the creeps. I wouldn't want to die like that. But Jesus says, you'd be in a better place if you've got a millstone tied around your neck. And if you're cast into the depths of the sea, he's a luckier guy than the person who causes someone who has weakened the faith to stumble. When Jesus says, woe to something or to someone, he is in essence saying, <laughs> I don't want to be you. Oh, whoa, you know, when he says woe unto you, he's like, huh, dude, you do not want to be in his place. If he said, woe unto Tim, it's like, man, you don't want to be Tim today, right? Some days it might be okay to be Tim, but you don't want to be Tim today. When he says woe unto you, okay, it means you don't want to be, he's feeling sorry not sorry for you, but he's like, you're in a bad place. So he says, woe unto you. And Jesus says that in this world, that there's going to be things that cause people to sin. And there will be things that they are going to come. Things that cause people to sin are going to come. But woe unto the one through whom those things come. You don't want to be the person through whom those things come that cause someone else to stumble. And I want you to think about that for a moment. You don't want to be the person through whom those things that cause others to sin come. Jesus says, it's going to happen. In this world, it's going to happen. But woe to him through whom those things come. Okay? I was thinking, what are some things that cause people to stumble? And what I would like you to do Is I'd like you just to take a moment, and we're going to just get quiet, and I want you to think of a few things that cause people to stumble. Just take a minute. Do you have about two or three things? Does most people have at least one or two things that cause other people to stumble? Most of you have one or two things. Okay. Thank you. I have a few things that I wrote down. The first one is a bitter root, things that cause people to stumble. A bitter root that springs up and defiles many. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says, make every effort. Make every effort. It says, what it's saying to us is do everything you can to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root Grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What is a bitter root? You can think about it. Here's the explanation that I came up for a bitter root. It's when something has happened in your life, and instead of dealing with it properly, you let it simmer. You've had a hurt, you've had a disappointment, you've had a misunderstanding, someone has offended you, some negative thing has taken place in your heart or in your life, and instead of dealing with it properly, you let it simmer. That's a bitter root. Gentlemen, when your wife is simmering, it is not a good thing, okay? You don't want her simmering. It's when those things have happened, and instead of addressing it, instead of dealing with it, you just let it keep going. That root, that bitter root, I want you to hear closely. Most, most of the large-scale problems in churches are a result, a direct result of a bitter root, because it wells up, it springs up, and it defiles many most of the large-scale problems in a church have at their root this idea of a bitter root. Can I say this? A lot of large-scale family problems that affect so many other, when families are dysfunctional and there's all kinds of problems, a lot of the, that issue can be traced back to a bitter root. The person may have started out as a victim, But now they are some of the most dangerous people in the world spiritually. That's another one you should write down. With Dealing with the bitter root, the person may be a legitimate victim initially. But because they've allowed these things to simmer, they become one of the most dangerous people spiritually in the world. Because inside they're filling up with poison little by little, but most people cannot see it. Until it contaminates those that they come into contact with. They spew it out on people. It's crazy. It's just like spewed out. Where did that come from? A few years ago, my brother Todd brought his kids up to visit us on a Saturday afternoon. And everybody got together for lunch at Shady Maple. Now, because of who we are, we didn't go to the smorgasbord. We went to the duchette. A little cheaper. We're a little cheaper family. Went to the duchette, Figure for $5.99 you can get your meal instead of 15 or 16 So we go to Shady Maple, to the Dutchette, and we got the, one of the big tables. You know, if you've ever been to Shady Maple, where you, down at the Dutchette, when you walk into where the price tag thing is, it's right here. You can eat on to the right or to the left. We ate over to your left. And those of you who are familiar with it, right in the center of the seating area are long tables that go down. And our family got one of those. We got online, we put our coach there, saved our seats. Then we hopped in line and got what we were going to eat. We come back and we sit down and I believe that day I had a roast turkey platter, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, and I had just gotten settled down. You know, before you eat, you got to get settled down, right? I had my napkin, I took my napkin off the plate, had a couple extras there. I like to be a little bit orderly, so I had my knife and my fork there. And I got my drink and I got it set like right in, straight in reach. You don't want your drink way too far away. You want it pretty close. I had my drink right in reach and I got my straw and and I always test the ice when I drink a soda to make sure it's cold enough. And so I usually take a little sip and make sure it's cold enough and it was good and I set it down and I had just taken, you know, the plastic covers that they put on their meals that to cover your platter. I would just taken that off and set it down. And my nephew Colin says to his dad, ah, Dad, I don't feel well. I was saying, Man, I hope I hope he feels a little better. But once again, I'm getting my stuff ready. I buttered my roll. That's too bad. I hope he feels better, but give me the butter. Put it on there and, and it's sitting on my little my little saucer there. And everything is ready to go. And Colin says Dad Dad bleh! <laughs> And he proceeds to vomit on all that's all of the table and on the tray in front of us. The first thing is my brother's embarrassed. And I think Landon was like when I started the story he didn't know what I was going to say. You heard someone grown up here. Landon was like, "Oh, gross, Dad." column threw up on the table. Like everybody saw it. Everybody heard it. I'm not sure what everybody did, but you just know that everybody around you is looking and, and we weren't off in the corner as a family. We're in the center with people all around us. You know, people travel to Shady Maple from Maryland, West Virginia, they travel from New Jersey, from Delaware. People come all, uh, from all around the surrounding states to come to Shady Maple to do their grocery shopping on a Saturday. I can just imagine some family, you know, they're like, guess what we're going to do? Oh, this is going to be awesome. We, honey, can we do that next Saturday? I promise, dear. Next Saturday, we'll go to Shady Maple. We'll go buy our groceries. I love those bakeries. And then we'll go up to that little Dutchette and we'll eat. And, and I can just imagine a few families who came to the Dutchette and they were sitting down. They were probably sitting all around us. And here's Coleman. And my family, as kind as they are, you know, like I say, everyone responds differently. But people are, seriously, they are completely surrounding us. My family, Logan, Lori, Landon, sensitive as they are I don't know where they went but they went a good ways away <laughs> we come for a family dinner and they they literally picked up their stuff and they were like on the other side of the restaurant I'm not quite sure what Terry and Tammy did but I can imagine they said something like this oh buddy are you oh are you okay I hope you, oh, oh, you poor little guy. So everybody, we grabbed for stuff to clean up. I didn't leave the table. I did move down a seat or so. And to be honest with you, I wasn't quite as hungry as I was before. I mean, I was like ready to go, you know? And after I saw that, I was just like, "Eh, I'm not that hungry. I'm not as hungry. But but I wasn't going to let a turkey platter go to waste. You know what I mean? So we just got done cleaning everything up. You know, we're making this big scene. We're apologizing to the workers. and to the, Sorry about that. Hey, sorry. You know, oh, sorry. Apologizing. Thank you so much. Thank you for bringing the rags so we can clean up the vomit. Oh, this is, thank you. Thank you. We're thanking people, apologizing to people. We've made a big scene. We've moved down like one seat from the, where we vomited. You know, we cleaned it up, moved down one seat. And we're sitting there... And it's just starting to settle down again. Um, Colin's like... And like I said, I'm looking at at my gravy and stuff, and it just really wasn't quite as good. But I was, you know, hey, he's come a long way. We're family here. You know, I paid six twenty nine. I can't. It's six twenty nine for a platter. I can't let it go to waste. And and so I'm looking at it, and and the people around. You know, everything's kind of gotten quiet. And Kaz like, Dad, blah. and he did it the second time. And Terry and I, you were laughing too, weren't you? We just <laughs> busted out laughing. Like like crazy people, because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what do these what do these people around us think? They think we're just complete, total idiots, you know. And I looked at my two thirds of my, uh, I looked at two thirds of my platter. And I was like, I'm gonna have to let this go, man. We we just gotta go. I want to go, but the real reason why I left was because I thought all these people are gonna start saying mean things to us. You know, he's thrown up twice. You start to lose your appetite. And other people start to lose their appetite and, and people get grossed out. Huh. Well, Pastor, why did you tell us that story other than just the joy of sharing about vomit? There was another reason. That's what people do who let a root of bitterness rise up within them. You know what they do? They come right in the middle of your Thanksgiving dinner. And then they blame you for it. They come in the middle. You know, you've prepared a banquet for them. They come in the middle of it, throw up, vomit. Then they just walk away like nothing happened. Like it's your problem. Huh? That's what they do. And you know what happens? Everybody there loses their appetite because so-and-so threw up. But that's what people do. Listen to me. That's what people do who have bitterness in their heart. They come in the midst of your party and just throw up all over the place. And then they look at you and act like it's your problem. What's wrong with you? And then the people who are around them, I hope I didn't make you sick. I apologize. But the people who are around them, they lose their spiritual appetite. You've been in that situation? I don't want to be here. I don't want I don't. It just doesn't feel Right? I know I paid six twenty nine, dollars but uh, I don't want it. There are people who are messed up spiritually. People who are weak in the faith. Who come to church, they come to a small group, and someone comes and throws up there. And they're like, I don't want to go to a small group. Yuck. I don't want to go to prayer meeting. Yuck. I don't want to be around. If this is what it is... If this is what it is, I don't want that. Can I just say to you, be careful about a root of bitterness. Because you, will, if you have a root of bitterness, you will impact so many other people. You'll cause them to lose their spiritual desire. And at least, can we at least do this? Can we at least identify it whenever it does happen? Can we at least identify it and say, well... That's Colin, he was throwing up. It had nothing to do with Shady Maple. It had nothing to do with the people who were there eating. The little guy was sick. And there's times that people come and they want to throw up on you and you know, on the job. There's people like that on the job. You're enjoying your job. You like what you're doing. But people come in and they have a root of bitterness and they growl about the company and they growl about what a terrible place it is and how miserable it is. If it's so miserable, then quit and go start your own company. Go do something else. You know it's not usually that bad but they'll come in and what does it do it affects so many other people the second thing what are some other things that cause people to stumble number two is false teachings that reject the imperative to deny yourself take up your cross and follow Jesus in Mark eight thirty four, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? There are those who want to preach a false gospel, a gospel with no cross, no death, and no sacrifice. Please understand this and hear me clearly. Jesus was not the only one who would ever suffer. The scripture clearly teaches us that he suffered as an example for us. He's not the only one who had to deny himself. He's not the only one who has to take up a cross. You and I are told, If we want to be his disciples, it will require us denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. We are to die daily. We're to die daily to our sinful nature. But there are those who wish to tell us that we don't have to sacrifice anything, that we don't have to die. So whenever it comes time and God requires of us, because you're all going to come to that point where he says, pick up your cross, deny yourself. You're all going to come to that point. And those people who've been taught that you never have to deny yourself, that Jesus did it and all you have to do is say a prayer and you just go on and live the way that you want to live. See, they come to a place when they've heard that message. And they've been indoctrinated with that message that, that when they come to a hard point, they're like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I thought, <laughs> I thought if I said the prayer, if I signed the membership card, like everything is going to be easy. You didn't say I got to die. You didn't say that I have to pick up a cross. You didn't say I have to say no to myself and no to my flesh. You didn't say I had to lay some things aside. You just said I was going to get all these benefits. And friend, it's so important that as a church that we share with people, there's people who when they hear, when they hear the message that you've got to deny yourself, that you have to pick up your cross, there's a group of people who that motivates them. They'll respond to that. You tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. That it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. You can't live the way that you used to live if you're going to follow Jesus. You don't get to be God over your own life. You don't have the authority over your life. You've surrendered. If you're truly going to be a disciple of Jesus, you've surrendered your will to his, even when you don't like it. Well, if I know I want to follow him as long as I like it, then you can't be his disciple. To the rich young ruler, Jesus said, he said, what else do I got to do? Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. The guy went away sad. Jesus didn't say, well, wait a minute. For you, I'll give you a deal. You don't have to sell anything. You don't have to give up anything. He didn't change. Jesus loved him, but he didn't chase him down and say, okay, for you, I'll let you. You don't have to sell anything. He didn't say, okay, for you, you know, you don't have to give up anything because I love you. He let him walk away. And I believe that whenever we teach a gospel or we portray a gospel, that there's no death, that there's no sacrifice, that there's no denying yourself, we do people a disservice. In fact, we lie to them. Isn't it crazy what Jesus said? That the person who tries to save his life loses it, but the person who loses his life for Christ's sake finds it. Isn't that crazy? We have a generation today that is so focused on me and me being fulfilled, and me being satisfied, and yet we find out that so many of those people who spend their life trying to fulfill themselves and satisfy themselves are the least filled and the least satisfied. What's a biblical principle? It's a biblical concept. If you lose your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. Or third, what are some things that cause people to stumble? Third one that I have, and I'm sure that there's others that you may have, The third one that I have is someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, yet does not adhere to his teachings or his commands. Warren Wiersbe writes, Anything that makes me stumble must be removed from my life, for if it is not, I cause others to stumble. Do you hear that? Anything that makes me stumble must be removed from my life, For if it is not, I cause others to stumble. You are not an island to yourself. The choices and the decisions that you make, and even things that you think nobody sees or nobody knows, I guarantee you, I promise you, I'll bet my life on it. The things that you think nobody sees and nobody knows will impact others eventually. It's just a matter of time. God's gracious and and he's patient with us and he's long-suffering. He allows us, he'll speak to us. And, And here's the thing, God will deal with you through his word. He'll speak to you and he'll say, and you cannot listen. And there's a period of time, I think, where God allows us to deal with things in private but before long, there comes a time where he's like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and take care of this. And those things that we try to deal with in private eventually get dealt with publicly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 says this. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing. He was rejected even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Esau is one of those guys who God uses as, you don't want to be like Esau. How many of you want to be the employee that when the boss talks about, is like, man, you don't want to be like, and have your name there? How many of you want to be the student that you're the example that other students don't want to be like. I don't want to be that person. And Esau is an example of someone who was focused on the moment. He was focused on right here, right now. He was hungry. Natural, God-given desire. He was hungry. But he despised his birthright. The problem was not that he was hungry. The problem was he despised his birthright so much that he would give up the birthright, the blessing for one meal. He said, this has no value. This birthright, he, this birthright had no value to him. He was willing to give it up for one meal. Now, if you, the birthright would have been, one aspect of it was if at the Ritchie household, Terry's the oldest, there's five kids, they would divide the inheritance into six parts and she would get a double part, Okay. And Esau despised his birthright, okay? He despised the favor of God. He despised the blessing of God. And he wanted to satisfy himself for that moment. You and I have to be so very careful. The decisions that we make in the moment. See, that's why a lot of things in life, we make decisions. I've told you this. We make decisions once. We don't make decisions in the heat of the moment, We live by God-given principles, biblical principles, and we stick to those principles. So in the moment, see, if you let me go in the moment, I'll do a lot of dumb things. If you don't make up your mind in advance, you're going to do a lot of foolish things in the moment. In advance, you make up your mind what you're going to do and what you won't do. So when the moment comes, you don't even have a decision to make because you've already made that decision. Esau, in the moment, was willing to give up the blessings of God, the birthright, to fill his stomach. Now, if you want to see a group of people whose faith is utterly destroyed, seek out former members of a church that had a gifted, charismatic leader who lived a double life and had a moral failure. Someone who sold their soul for a moment of pleasure. There's something so devastating about this violation of trust That many people, and I want you to hear me, many never, never recover from. Can I have this to be honest with you? Unless a person repents, a spiritual leader who brings that kind of devastation upon innocent people, please don't misunderstand me. God will judge very harshly. You have someone who destroys the faith in other people by their actions, God will judge them very harshly. If they don't repent, there's going to be a very dark place in hell for them. There's no other way to put this. You literally destroy the faith and the spiritual hunger and desire and children of the Lord. Weak, people who are weak in the faith, people who are young in the faith, and you destroy that, God will judge and punish that. There's no way he cannot. And it will be a very dark and harsh punishment for those who refuse to repent. Another thing that you can see, show me children that grow up in a family where parents say one thing and do something else. And you'll often find people who struggle deeply with their relationship with God. Show me parents who we say one thing and we live another way. And can I be honest with you? There's times we're all hypocrites. Don't act like you have not never been a hypocrite. Because all of us at times, we've said one thing and done something else. We've violated our principles. We've acted in ways that we wish we hadn't. Okay? When that happens, here's the difference. When that happens, we need to stand up and take responsibility for what we've done. And when you sin, there's times where it's public repentance is required. Oh, pastor. You think your kids don't know? There's times where I've had to go to my family and I've had to say to them, you know what, what I just did and what I just said and how I just acted was wrong. Will you forgive me? And gotten on my knees in front of them and prayed in front of them. Our kids shouldn't know that. No, here's the reality. Our kids know about us. Our spouses know about us. And when we're wrong, we need to be man or woman enough to say, I was wrong, I am sorry, will you forgive me? And what that does, pastor, won't that make them... No, what that will cause them to do is to see a healthy way of dealing with our faults and our sins. Us to act like, oh, no, I've never done anything wrong. Oh, you're a full baloney. They know you've done something wrong. When we're wrong, we take responsibility, and we confess that, and we pray, and what does it do? It causes people to have respect for you. They don't lose respect for you. In the end, they'll gain respect for you because you're a person of integrity. Here's the thing. of A, a person of integrity is not that a person never makes a mistake. See, sometimes we think when a person makes a mistake that they don't have integrity. No, a person of integrity owns up when they didn't make a mistake. That's what shows you're a person of integrity. Not that you've never done anything wrong. I've seen that in people who I know's lives. It's like there's this despising. A lot of pastor's kids. And I'm not saying anything bad about these men or women, but a lot of pastor's kids despise the church. They despise the things of God. Now, I know that there's times where people are hurt and things like that. But, you know, there's times where it's because people live double lives. Let's you and I, let's be honest. Let's be people of integrity so that we don't cause the people we love the most to stumble. I want you to think of all the people who look to you and know that you claim to be a follower of Jesus with each decision that you make. When you make your choice... When you say something, the way you respond, I want you to know that there's people who are watching you. They're following you. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm really not that influential. If you claim the name of Jesus, you are much more influential than what you know. Every person who works on a construction site knows that Sam's a follower of Jesus. And they're watching him. So every guy who works with him, he is a representative of Jesus Christ. Where Jim works, the people who are there know that Jim's a follower of Jesus. And so as a follower of Jesus, they are watching what he says. There's people, you know, the funny thing is, there's people in the community here who I've never met, but they know me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who they are. And the same thing is true of you. There's people who you've never laid eyes upon, but they know you and they know that you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. Your decisions, your decisions will have a great impact upon them. Think about that as you make your choices. They who in any way hinder the salvation of others will find their own condemnation the more intolerable, like Jeroboam who sinned and made Israel to sin. Listen to me. In this world, there's going to be seducers. There's going to be tempters. People who, ah, try a little bit, it won't hurt you, here. There's going to be persecutors. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be liars and deceivers. And there's going to be bad examples. Just don't let yourself be one of them. Father God, I thank you for the word that we've heard today.